It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. Hope everybody's having a uh, well, a good September. Now we're a couple of days late finishing our August of. Uh, Americana episode. That's partly my fault. I uh, apologize for that. I couldn't record the other night when we tried to, but uh, we're going to knock it out early September. So, Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. August and September. Um, but better late than never. Not yeah. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Yeah, we've had a good response to these. Uh, I've gotten several messages from people from People that I, that I know that I didn't even know listened to our podcast um, messaged me saying how much they enjoyed it. So I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for Dean Gavney for coming on a couple of weeks ago. He was a, a lot of fun. He's a musical encyclopedia. And a, a big thank you to Kerry Hudson for giving us uh, about an hour on our last episode. He was super nice to talk to. He was. And, and yeah, the episode with Dean, that was that was a big hit. Uh, you know, mutual friend of ours, uh, he told me that he just brought it up out of nowhere. He just brought it up to me. He said, he said, man, he said that, that, uh, podcast said, uh, Americana, he said, that was so good. Like, oh man. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's obviously done pretty well. Um, which is good because I don't feel like we have any rhyme or reason when we're doing this. We don't have a clue what we're doing. Honestly. Um, if y'all think we're joking, we're not. I'm not rehearsing on this. I'm just talking about it. So if you're looking for facts, you might want to look elsewhere. Yeah, that's what these, it's been kind of interesting because we've kind of made this mutual decision not to do a lot of research or anything like that and just kind of talk about it. And so I think it's gone um, pretty well. So when Dean was on, we talked about the second wave uh, of the second wave bands. And then when Carrie was on, he actually, uh, you know, we talked about some of the second wave stuff and, I, I still think it's funny that we can partially blame Blue Mountain for the rise of Nickelback, if you remember that. Yeah, I do remember that, and, and I saw how somebody uh, somebody joked about that on social media. Yeah, it's um, definitely not Carrie's fault, but uh, anyway, that was that was a funny minute. All right, so what we're going to talk about this week is, I guess, if you want to call it the third wave or everything, I would say from probably 2000 or so on, or maybe a little bit after 2000. Um, first one that comes to mind for me, Chris, is going to be Ryan Adams. He issued that Heartbreaker album. He was the flavor of the month there for a while. Uh, that album was really, really big. It was really stripped down. 
and then he came back with um, uh, gold, which was uh, a little more electric, a little different. And then he <laughs> issued rock and roll, which was, as the title said, it was a straight up rock record. And then his records after that have been kind of all over the place. You had Jacksonville City Nights, which was an old school country album. You had uh, Cold Roses, had had a little bit of Grateful Dead influence to it, had some country music on it. And then the rest of his stuff has just been kind of all over the place. Um, obviously, he's gotten himself in a little bit of trouble in the last year and a half. I think he's going to make a comeback, and uh, I, I want to hear new music from him. But your thoughts on Ryan Adams? Uh, <clears throat> sorry. I love the I love the guy's music. Um <clears throat> And I do hope that he comes back. I, I know that there's going to be some people that say, you know, they don't want to forgive him. They're going to think he's a dirtbag. And I'm not saying, I'm not here to contone it, <coughs> his behavior. I'm, I'm not here to crucify him on this episode. I, I don't really want to get into that part of it. I just want to talk about his music. And I do miss m- new music from the guy because, you know, I, I know you said he's been – hit or miss. And, and I do largely agree with that statement. It's, um, I there, do think some of his records have been hit or miss, but you know, when he, but I do think prisoner was to me, it's one of my favorite albums that he's done. I, I loved it. And for people that aren't real familiar, you know, the name, but you're not real familiar. It's the last one that he did. And I, I don't have enough good things to say about that. When, uh, when we did this podcast, uh, you know, I think it may have been our first year doing the podcast. I had that as my album of the year. I, I saw him on that tour, and I've, I've seen him a few times, and that was my favorite show that he's done. Uh, I think he was on fire. And, you know, when you go back, yeah, you mentioned Heartbreaker, a, a you know, pretty good bit of critical acclaim, but he really was still not a whole lot big. I mean, he was bigger, but not a ton bigger, really, than Whiskey Town. He, he really was a little bit of a slow growth, if you think about it, as well, far as— he, he had a Gap commercial, if you remember. No, I don't remember it, but people still didn't know his music. I mean, I right. It, it, I mean, same way that Butch Walker was a, I think, a Calvin Klein model. Mm-hmm. People still didn't know who Marvelous Three was, you know, when he was with the band. Um, so that's a true story, by the way. I think it's Calvin Klein, but he, he was he, he modeled for one of them. So, you know, um, I think it was kind of a slow build because he did that, and as you said, uh, Gold, and it seems like after Gold is when he really started picking up the momentum and you know, I remember the, the year he did the the three records uh, and I, I know one of them was, what were they? It was cold roses, uh, which I know you've been, you're a huge fan of 29 Jack- and Jacksonville city nights, which is phenomenal. Um, that is, we talked about that on, on, um, when we said the second phase, we talked about, I mentioned that record was to me, Kind of like a Whiskey Town record, and that's mm-hmm. why I loved it so much because I thought his country, his country style was, is what I probably prefer the most. Even though I think rock and roll is a great record, I don't care if people don't like it or not. I think it's really good, and you know he, he's really done. It's a diverse catalog. The the Taylor Swift, you know that that record we did in 1989 in its entirety is brilliant. So if you where there, well, I guess as I'm getting really, really long-winded here, where we talk about there's been some hit or miss, I think he was doing really well before everything went went south. Um, when you think about it, he had, he had 1989 album. He had, um, I mentioned Prisoner, which I absolutely love that one. 
I thought the self-titled record was really, really good. I did too. Uh, and so I think it was – we were getting some really good work. I mean, three great – I think three of his better albums in a row. I think he was on a bit of a hot streak and was – now, I'm going to turn this over to you because before all this went down, wasn't he supposed to release three albums? Yeah. That year, do the same thing like he did we were just talking about? Yeah, I mean, so much so that I had already pre-ordered the first one. Yeah. yeah. What was it? Colors? Is that what it's going to be called? So, so, something like that, yeah. Because I remember <clears> – <throat> I remember like it was yesterday. It was, it was actually I think on February the thirteenth because I, anyway, I, I just remember that I was driving to my in laws' house and my wife was reading the article to me and uh, I remember me and you and some other people on a group text and I was like, uh, does this mean we're not going to get the records? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and that it, and I, I know it was super close to coming out because the artwork was already out. And I think it was colors, and I think it was in several colors, and it was colors with you, mm-hmm. with you and you know the British mm-hmm. spelling. I uh, so it, it got close to seeing the light, and you know hopefully he will do that. I think it'll probably be. I don't know. I I'm I'm, I'm hoping it, it's soon because he ha- he has emerged a bit more on. He's been kind of quiet lately, but he for a, for a minute he emerged on through the, when quarantine first started. He was putting up a lot of videos that were really 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 good yeah you know a bunch of cover songs uh i remember one of them was um didn't he he did everybody hurts doesn't it yeah yeah and a bunch of really good ones yeah and so um if there are people out there that like are like you shouldn't be allowed to come back you need to go read about some of the antics of aerosmith led zeppelin um some of the members of the stones so uh Uh, look at look at motley Crue. read the dirt yeah i mean if that's not me too you know, they tried to walk that back, you know, and, but I mean, come on. I mean, that was, I'm not going to start talking about it here, but that was really, really bad. Yeah. And, um, it's just a different era. I yeah. mean, that's what all it boils down to. You know, if this were 1984, we would have never heard the story. Right. So, uh, you're right. People have done, I'm not condoning, but. This kind of stuff's happened a long time, and it never hurt anybody's career whatsoever. He just it was, it was the timing, and uh, I think he'll come back. All right, so a band that has been around a lot longer than people like me would have realized, uh, but you're aware of this because uh, they're from your city is Lucero. Yeah, I uh, I love this band. I and I've grown. I seem to grow more and more a fan every year and you know when they first came out i wasn't the um i was always aware of them i was always aware of the name but i didn't get into them until you know several years later now i've been listening to them for a long time now don't get me wrong but i can assure you i wasn't listening to them in 2001 and i believe that's when um i believe that's when the first album came out but yeah i think this this band is uh I, I, we where we talked about it. I remember Dean saying, he said, if you talk to them, I bet I bet you like, if you talk to to Ben Nichols, I, I bet you he would probably tell you that Slobberbone was a huge influence. I hear that, and and um, David, I don't you know you don't really listen to Slobberbone, and I'm a I'm a newer fan, but it's it's a lot of that as we talked about in that second phase. It's a lot of times it's slower music, it's um, kind of sad bastard just uh, drinking type music and they have 
so I, I get like the slobber bone as well as a band like Uncle Tupelo, where Uncle Tupelo could speed things up and all. They haven't done that a lot, especially early in the career. And I always found that unique because they were opening for bands like Social Distortion and all that. And then Social Distortion would come out just blazing, but their opening act is this band. And actually, you can actually look that up on a video of, of uh, Lucero on YouTube. It's probably about 15 minutes or so. And they're being interviewed about opening up for Social Distortion and how you know they were just so slow and the kind of music they did was so different. But um, yeah, I, to, to quote Mike Ness, as he, as I heard him say at a social distortion show in Memphis, I've said that this before on the podcast. He was playing a show and he he mentioned Lucero and he said, "You guys are really lucky to have them as your home as your home band." And I I really feel that way because they're a band that's stood the test of time. They've been going now for twenty years. Um. They, unlike a lot of bands, they never packed up and left. You know, we had guys like um, some lesser known people, like say Drew Holcomb that left and went to Nashville. You, uh, a lot of people don't realize Kings of Leon is from a basically a suburb of Memphis. They left and went to Nashville. And it seems like people go um, MGMT. They went to, they're from Memphis. They went to New York. And all these bands just leave. And Memphis, uh, Lucero is just Memphis's band. You know, I, I see these guys around town. I see them riding their bike through my neighborhood, walking um, at the grocery store. They're always around. And uh, I know that's not about the music, but, um, yeah, I, I think these guys are – I think Ben Nichols is a, is a really gifted songwriter. And I like their – I really like their whole collection. And they did, they did for a, a while, they went – they brought in a horn section, did that for a couple of records, and I wasn't a big fan of that sound. Um, didn't hate it, but I I preferred the stuff, the more stripped down. And that last, the last record they did was in 2018 called Among the Ghost, which I thought was excellent. And um, last thing before I let you get kind of your thoughts on the band, um, where everybody's doing these different shows, different ways of trying to, to – to make music, to get the music out there during these times we live in. They've got them. I'm going to give a little, cause I know this will be released before this comes out, but I'll give a little plug. Uh, Lucero, they always do in Memphis. They do a, uh, a Christmas show every year in Memphis. And then they do the Lucero family picnic that happens in April where they have a bunch of bands come out and it's uh, kind of like a little mini festival just in Memphis. And they announced they're doing a, um, they're doing a show, a a remote show. A uh, they're doing one, uh, a virtual show, I guess I should say. They're doing one next Friday. They're going to have Jay Jackson, who I probably will mention here in a minute as well. Op- she she's opening. Laura Jane Grace is opening from Against Me, and then the and that's going to and that one that show is based all. I think they're playing fourteen songs, and it's strictly what the fans have nominated. They're going to take all the top votes and that's going to be their set list. And then the next night they're playing their album, um, bike riders from beginning to end. And, uh, actually it's not, what's the name of the album? That's not the name of the album, but, uh, nobody's darlings bike riders on the album. And then they've got a couple of other different opening artists for that show. So anyway, look, check into that. If you want to look, you can look it up. That should be really cool. 
I never have really gotten into them. A lot of people have told me, hey, you like this band, you like this band, you should like them. Um, I've tried, um, but, you know, in a couple of years, I may come around on that. I definitely respect them, and they're hardworking people, and I went to that block party or whatever it's called uh, with you one time. Went, it, it was raining and so cold, um, and I, I stayed for like the first four or five songs, Sunvolt opened. But yeah, I, mean, I definitely respect them. They're definitely good musicians. Ben Nichols has a very identifiable voice. Identifiable voice, and I've seen other songwriters like um, Dave Hawes, I remember, was, I think it was Dave Hawes, uh, uh, Brian Fallon, different people were talking about him as a songwriter. And I think they were talking about the way that he can just stream together sentences that aren't, there are no rhymes, nothing. And the way he just all makes it flow. Um, and so I, if you're unfamiliar, I, you'd have to listen to the music. Uh, I think a good thing to start with, by the way, since a lot of times we do this, we talked about a lot about Ron Adams records. If you wanted something to start with, um, oddly enough, I'm going to recommend their live record. I think it's called Live from Atlanta. And it was three sold out shows in a row that they did in Atlanta. And they compiled them into, to make one live show. And that's a really, really good um, career retrospective, and that's one I would start with if for anybody wanting to listen to listen to them. If if you want to pick a solo album or just a, a studio album, that much further west um, or Rebels, Rogues, and Sworn Brothers you can't go wrong with either one of those. But phenomenal band, I uh, I really love those guys. All right, and, so- and, and we're, we're, I'm sorry, one more point I was going to say where you said you, people say it's a band you should like because you like a lot of this stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to say something that too, you nailed that in the way that how I feel about one of your favorite bands was just drive by truckers. I respect them. I think they're good. Um, I'm not changing the channel. If I hear them, come on. Um, like I'm not that they're going to be played. I don't think they're ever really hardly played on on satellite radio, but you get my point. Yeah. If you're playing them in the car, I'm not going to be thinking, man, I wish he would turn this. Right. I, I, I don't mind it at all. It's just, it doesn't grab me. And so I understand that they don't grab me. I get that. Well, speaking of them, uh, we talked about them on the Dean Gavney episode, but uh, Jason Isbell was um, let go from there um, in the mid 2000s. And he was, he's a whole lot younger than they are. So he was a young guy, and he went out on his own and had a couple of albums that, uh, for me, were hit and miss. That's, I mean, he's a he is a really really good songwriter, but it wasn't until he got sober and put out Southeastern, uh, which is a st- more of a singer songwriter album than than some of his earlier solo stuff, um, that he really got started getting the recognition. Uh, that he deserved and now I mean a lot of people think you know he's one of the best songwriters out there and um, his albums since then uh, um, I mean they're hit and miss for me like I'm not one of these like Jason Isbell apologists that think everything he does is just the greatest but I like probably 50% of it uh, and I do think he's a great songwriter and uh, he uh, he has a whole lot of momentum right now he's married to Amanda Shires and he does stuff with her and uh he he's a he's really great in concert. It's a great live at, that band. He's got the was it the four hundred unit or something like that. They're really really good. They do some tasteful covers. Uh, their live show is more of a rock show than you know some of his albums. But uh, he came out of that drive by truckers thing uh, and wound up uh, wound up coming out really really nice. 
Yeah, you know, this is kind of uh, the Americana darling, I guess you could say. You know, he, uh, like you say, he does have a lot of momentum. And he's going to also fall into that category that you feel about Lucero, I feel about drive-by truckers. I don't mind the music at all. I, now, you mentioned Southeastern. I do really like that album. I think that's a good, I think it's a good album. Uh, I don't really go deeper than that. I, I do have another one. I, I can't even tell you the name of it. And it's fine. It just doesn't really do anything for me. But yeah, he, he is a really good artist. Um, good, really good songwriter, good musician. Yeah. And and he's another one. He's, he's behind the, um, and he's worked with some artists, you know, on the other side of the, the console. And if, if you're ready to go to next, we will, if you have some more things to no, say, but no, I was going to say if, if we to transition, I think a good transition point would be American Aquarium who I love because, um, have you somehow gotten in between my head? Because like you pulled off the drive by truckers transition as I was getting ready to go into it. And now you're, I was going to go into American Aquarium. So nice. I saw you, I saw you, um, Dave and I are looking at each other through Skype, but don't be jealous. I get to look at, at David, but, um, Anyway, I uh, I saw you cock your head back. It's like he's thinking, "Oh man, do we really have to talk about these guys?" So yeah, that's funny though that that's what you're thinking. It's a transition. Now, um, yeah, Jason Isbell, like Drive by, American Aquarium was a band that was going nowhere fast, and these guys like Lucero toured relentlessly. And I've heard BJ Barham of American Aquarium talk about, you know, Lucero was a big was a bit influence for them as far as trying to earn your stripes on the road and. They were having no luck whatsoever. Now I have heard that he was about ready to all hang it up, you know, because it wasn't going anywhere. And then he got, he'd made dances for the lonely. And that was with Jason Isbell behind the helm. And, um, it to this day has that and the, the album that followed it are his probably most loved beloved albums. And, but this was the album I think that really, kept him going and and uh, he credits jason isbell on that he credits jason isbell with getting him sober and and so uh i think jason isbell played a, a very very pivotal role in american aquarium bj barham but um you know it's funny when i when i talk about how they weren't really going anywhere fast the the early records uh, the bible in the bottle small town small town hymns I'll be honest they, they do very little for me a few songs on them but i'm they're not that good and the good thing is a lot of these artists that you that you love maybe there's a couple albums they put out their early albums you may not like as much but they're going to play a bunch of songs from them. he basically ignores these albums he starts it's almost like their career really started with dances for the lonely and since then i feel like you know the follow-up burn flicker die is probably my favorite one by them and then they put out one solid record after another. And the newest one that just came out this year, which unfortunately they haven't been able to tour, Lamentations, I could, I, you know, I probably would put it as my number three right behind. And, and it's not like this, is, it's just new. And so I'm loving that it's new. I've, I've been listening to it now for most of 2020. And I put it behind Dance to the Lonely, Burn, Flicker, Burn, Flicker, Die. So that's, so I, I feel like they're still on a pretty hot street. Another hardworking band that's out there a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you have to have to respect that. Yeah, I've um, I've listened. I of all the ones that I've listened to, uh, 
the album before this, I thought that had three or four songs on it I really liked, and then that Burn, Flicker, Die has some songs on it I really like. Um, they're a band that I think if I went and saw them live would probably be able to persuade me yeah. to, to, to go over. Um, but uh, yeah, another just real hard, and they're named after uh, a line in a Wilco song, which was part of the second wave, and Jeff Tweedy was... And Uncle Tupelo, so they're definitely Americana there. Yeah, and they're more, they're definitely probably, if you ask PJ Barham, he'd say he's a, they're a rock and roll band. And and they are, but a lot of the people we talk about are rock and roll bands. I guarantee you Lucero calls themselves a rock and roll band. But um, what we hear, we hear that Americana influence, and we feel they fit into this category. And there's a lot of artists that we're going to talk about for the remainder of this that aren't just, overly American. I mean, they don't, uh, they don't sound like uncle Tupelo. Another artist who uh, has an identifiable voice that sounds like he uh, eats gravel and smokes eight packs a day and gargles with uh, 120 proof wild Turkey is Ryan Bingham. And um, Ryan's, I know his first album and maybe his second album, I think were produced by Mark Ford of the black crows. And I remember when those albums came out, in the Black Crows community, there's a lot of hype on them. And um, his first three albums I'm familiar with. And uh, was it the first one? It's like Mescalito. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really like that one. That's probably my favorite one. And then uh, Roadhouse Sun uh, is, is good. Uh, he's a guy that doesn't really, he doesn't veer too, I mean, he's had an album or two where he's changed his sound up, but he knows where his bread and butter is. Um, his voice uh, is well beyond his years. And uh, he sings about hard times uh, very easily. Uh, and a guy that it's, is honestly, in a lot of ways, is kind of a throwback. Yeah, and you know, I, I made a note as you were talking, because I wanted to make sure I remember this. But the point I was going to make is he's kind of what we talked about with Uncle Tupelo and Jay Farrar. Their voices, I remember I was shocked when I saw Ron Bingham for the first time. Because... Even that first album, you know, he's got that, I would see that cover and I never, I didn't own it for a long time. And you'd see that the cover and it has, you can see the top of his head, but he's got a cowboy hat on. So you can't even see how old he looks. And he, uh, yeah, he, he does, he's got that Springsteen hard times like you're talking about, the he definitely even, has that. He's even a really, has a, even has a song called "Hard Times." Yeah, he's a really good songwriter. I um, I do really like the first those first few records, and one that I really liked too was one that came out in 2012 called "Tomorrowland." Um, if you check out the song uh, "Heart of Rhythm," it's not really like we talk about. He doesn't really veer. I, I agree with that. This song does kind of veer. And it's when you first hear it, hear you would think you'd be like, uh oh, what direction is he go? Is he going? Because I remember when the album, when the song first came out before the album did. But instead, even though it was different, my first reaction was, man, that's good. <laughs> and it's the type you just roll the windows down and crank. But the rest of the record had a lot of the just the stereotypical of him. And you know, un, unlike, and, and and you know, I I'm a massive Springsteen fan, but unlike Springsteen who has never really lived the life that he sings about, you know, Ron Bingham was a rodeo star. 
You know, he, he was all in on the on the rodeo circuit. So I look at Ron Bingham as that man is a cowboy. Yeah. Few of them few of them are. He is. Yeah. Yes, yeah, definitely go check out those first couple of records for sure. All right, Chris, we don't want to be sexist in all this. Uh, there's some females, and uh, uh, you have Lindy Ortega and, and Jay Jackson come to mind. Uh, I know you're fans uh, of them, and I really like that last Jay Jackson album. Really, really liked it. Why don't you talk about them for a little bit? Oh, yeah, I, and I add Nikki Lane to the mix as well, but Lindy and Jade are definitely the my, my favorites, and I've... I've liked, I've really liked all of, of uh, Lindy Ortega's first, her her albums. The first two were particularly good. I, um, you know, I I I, came, I became aware of her because she was opening for Social Distortion. I think I've talked about this a lot. That I, I've I've been fortunate enough to discover a lot of bands through Social Distortion through open the opening acts, which I gotta believe that Mike Ness handpicks them because how else could a punk band that kind of shifts a lot into the rockabilly almost kind of country type sound these days you would think they would have all punk type bands opening for him but he's always adding these country type artists as openers and i saw her when she was uh, on her first record little red boots which uh, that's probably my favorite but the follow-up 10 star really good and i really like her when it came out in 2012 cigarettes and truck stops jay jackson is another one i learned through social distortion unfortunately i didn't get to see her open up for for them on that tour they didn't come by anywhere near but um her her mom and mike ness's mom are friends and that's how they they discovered her and now mike ness's son julian plays guitar in her band and like I said, she's going to be opening for you know, next Friday for the the uh, virtual picnic for Lucero. And highly recommend checking her out. Like you said, the last one that she put out, we've talked about on this show. And it even when I when I told David, who doesn't always he, he wasn't really aware of her. A lot of times I, I give him these different albums to listen to, and he's like, oh, it's fine. Or you, I remember you saying, man, she really is good, and the album. We're so used to the first albums being the best artist. It's not the case with her. Her new one is better. She only put out two. But if you want to start for, with her music, start with Wilderness. Um, Nikki Lane, I didn't discover. I actually discovered her through opening for, for a Butch Walker. But she has opened. I saw her open for Social Distortion at the Ryman. Um, but yeah, all three. And I don't mean to just put them as, well, here's our female section. You know, this is. Let's, we got to get this part out. No, they're especially Jade and Lindy. I mean, I put up there as high as m- almost all of these artists we're talking about. I-, I love their music. All right, so you talk about Social Distortion, one of the more well-known punk bands of our time. Uh, that leads into uh, something that doesn't make a lot of sense, but it but it works. Uh, here lately, we've had a lot of guys that were in punk bands try their hand at at the very least Americana and sometimes just straight up country. Um, one of, one of the ones that I'll talk about is, is Brian Fallon specifically like his, the, the album that just came out this year, which I think may be his best album. Uh, it, it definitely is Americana. Um, Agreed. you know, it's, it's mostly acoustic, it's kind of the same tempo for most of the songs. Um, I, I posted something on Twitter the other day. He, 
he's slowly becoming like like my favorite overall songwriter. He just has the ability to hit you in the feels uh, every time. And uh, the only complaint I have about this album, the latest album, is not long enough. And it's only like eight songs. Uh, he's obviously from um, uh, the lead singer and principal songwriter for the Gaslight Anthem, but all three of his solo albums are as good and better than some of the Gaslight albums. Um, he, he, he's just really on fire right now. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'll, I'll take credit for the one that got you into to him because I got you into the, the Gaslight Anthem. I, I, um, tried for a long time, as you know, to, to sell you on that band. And, you know, I, I can't say I like his solo music as much as I do Gaslight, though the first one. I would probably put above a couple of Gaslight records, the first solo record. I, I really, really thought that was phenomenal. Um, but it, the the first two records that he did, I think he fits well into this because Brian Fallon, when he's talked about when he was in the Gaslight Anthem, he wrote the songs on acoustic and they were largely kind of singer-songwriter. And he would take it to the band and they would punk it up i guess you could say and so i think he's doing what comes natural to him he's not doing really anything different and um the first two records were a little bit more closer to gaslight but this last one agreed it, it's a it's a straight up americana record yeah it's in the running for my album of the year for sure all right so uh chris that's the one that I'm the most familiar with. There's several others that you're big fans of. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about them? Okay, yeah. The um, so I'll, you know I call this I always call this um, punker turned folky, you know. And and uh, some of these are a little bit more so than others. Uh, the one that's not as strong into the Americana realm, but I think he does does deserve a mention because it sometimes hints on it, uh, especially his first solo album resolutions but this artist is dave hawes who was with the loved ones uh if nothing else even if it's not americana it's true singer songwriter and sometimes it definitely goes more in the rock than the other ones just the straight up rock but resolutions and and i think some of devour which is one of my favorite albums of the last 10 years for sure that one i would highly recommend checking that out then as I turn to a couple of them that, that do go more kind of in that Americana realm, one is uh, Tim Barry from punk band that was borderline hardcore, Avail. And his early stuff is really folky, um, definitely Americana. And he did a, if, if you want to try him out, I mean, and there's a guy that he really made a big departure from what he was doing. I mean, he was doing a lot of the screams, all this, and I mean, hard, aggressive music, but you know, he's from Virginia. So he's, he's a country boy. You know, he's not like some of the other ones that, you know, may not be, I'm not saying it's put on, but you just same way, as I, as I said, with Ron Bingham, this is natural who he is. I, I'd assume it probably is with Tim Barry, but Check out the record Manchester for him. I uh, I like that one a lot. And one that we talked about, it was high on one of, on my album of the year a couple years ago, is Greg Graffin, uh, his album Millport. Greg Graffin, you may not know the name, but you know his band, and that's Bad Religion. 
And this one is definitely folk Americana. There's a couple of songs that I put more as country than anything. And he pulls it off. It, it, it's not as much as the other ones where they had that punk. A lot of them had that punk sound in their voice. He doesn't. He has a real smooth voice on it. But as I turn to the one that does have the punk voice, the guy who made me fall in love with this kind of music is Chuck Reagan. And, you know, I, I became a Chuck Reagan fan before I became a Hot Water Music fan. And I'm going to, I mean, here I am a broken record, but I'm going to go back to Social Distortion. I saw him open for Social Distortion at the Ryman. And it was just him, a, uh, he had a, a stand-up bass, I believe a stand-up bassist and a, I believe he had a, I, believe, I want to say he had a fiddle player. And, and like fiddle and mandolin, they'd do that. He, he would just kind of change instruments, multi-instrumentalist. And he was on acoustic guitar. I was hooked. And he's put out many, many great solo albums. I, I love them all. But, well, I shouldn't say many, 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 but he's put out many. And if you want to check out one from him, Gold Country, it's the first one. It is straight up Americana with a gravelly punk rocker voice. And I think more than any, when I say punker turned folky, it fits that description. But, you know, it's just kind of one of these where we're talking about some of the Americana. This is kind of, we, we wanted to talk about this specifically because it fits more into its own bucket. Yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, that's, it's kind of like, you remember a couple of years ago, you had like Steven Tyler doing country music and you had, uh, you know, all these people putting out like a country, like Sheryl Crow put out a country album or whatever. It seems like in the punk world now is we got to put out something that's kind of soft and acoustic. Yeah, a lot of them have done it. We haven't even, I mean, we're not even done with all that. And, and one I'm going to, that's not, cause he doesn't, actually he does come from the punk world, but that's not how I first discovered him. I do want to make mention of a guy who's really worked hard to start developing a name in Americana. And I know he's open for a lot of guys, a lot of guys you love, David. And he's on the, um, he plays the big festivals with him. And that's Charlie Overby. And we were lucky enough, um, our friend Kate and I, we, we interviewed him on, so you can look up that interview if you want to, but there's an interview with, with Charlie. And, we became aware of Charlie because he, in the '90s, he had a uh, a kind of a power pop glam band that didn't make it. They were just a bit too late. You know, all, uh, that that era was dying. Grunge was already had already killed it, but they were still going for a while. And he transitioned to that and went into you know punk and cow punk, rockabilly type stuff, psychobilly, all that kind of stuff. He he did a lot of that. And then he went into kind of a rock country-ish type, and now he's doing just straight-up Americana. And he's really good at it, really, really good at it. And like I said, he is actually picking up a little bit of steam. It's, it's funny. It's a, he's a really good guy who, you know, he's, he's older than a lot of the guys. He's older than most people are when they first start getting a little bit of recognition, but he never gave up the, uh, I guess, the rock and roll dream, and it's good to see he's starting to pay off. I would, I would highly recommend Charlie Overby. Yeah, he's a great hat maker too. Yes, he is, and he makes hats for a lot of people. 
lot. Yeah. I mean, your, your guy, um, uh, Chris Robinson, um, Marcus the other King, guy. Yeah. Blackberry Smoke. He makes stuff for them. Cheryl Crow. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of them. You know, they, so he's, it's funny. Like he's, I don't think, I mean, I think the, the, the guy, it's almost like Butch Walker, but in a different way. And I know he's probably, I know he's not making Butch Walker money, but Butch Walker has made such great music all these years but never really did anything with it. And now I, th- I know he can draw a big crowd. When I used to see him, he was playing to only a handful of people in the early days, but he was a mega producer. Yeah. When you look at Charlie Overby, and he's not playing to a lot of people, but he's got his income from from coming from hat making. He, so, he makes like a lot of people auction off his hats now. Um, and they are not cheap. No, uh-uh. And they are, they are, they are unique. All right, Chris. As far as the list, this kind of is most of what I've got. Have we have we left anybody off? Well, I'll touch on a few things because uh, we did kind of focus on the punk. We um, I, and we talked to the the females that are great in this genre. Um, you know, one that recently hit me that I uh, wasn't really aware of until I discovered a band called Country Westerns, which we're going to talk about on our next episode. But uh, country and country western sits into this this discussion. They're they're really great. But I can't became aware of a band called The Weight that uh, the frontman of um, singer guitarist songwriter for country westerns was in a band called The Weight W E I G H T. Album Ten Mile Grace. Man, it, it's probably the best Americana album you've never heard. And so I love that. I. I um, I guess I would say as as we wrap up, I, when we brought up, um, I, I just, there's some of these just kind of like you always hear about metal, all the subgenres, and there's, I mean, it seems like there's a hundred of them. I feel like Americana, since its formation, has started going into that as well. And you know, I would you you brought up Ron Bingham. I'd say you got guys like Sturgill Simpson prior to his last record fits into that. Uh, Scott Byron fits into that. Culture Wall is a great country artist that still has a little bit of Americana influence, but kind of a true country artist. I look at some of the stuff that's been done with the um, more of kind of, more of the folk realm. That's bands like Deer Tech, Deer Tick, the Avett Brothers, of course, are just massive, trampled by turtles, Lumineers, a band that I really, really like. They're the first album that they just put out, I guess about a year ago, Camp, C-A-A-M-P. Great, great record. And then I think you can almost go to the indie side, which is guys like Andrew Bird, um, uh, Oakerville, Oakerville, Oakerville River, I always get that mixed up, Band of Horses, My Morning Jacket, which I know you're big into. I think in a way they kind of fit into that realm. Yeah. And then another one, though, it may not seem like it, and I'm thinking of this just because he put out they put out the first record in years. Bright Eyes put out a new album, which I really I think it's pretty good. But Bright Eyes has had some stuff that kind of veered on Americana. But if you want to hear a straight up just great Americana record, though he's done a lot of kind of straight up indie rock, and I keep saying that he and it's a band, but I think if people know him talking about Con- you know Connor O'Burst. But he did an album called I'm Wide Awake It's Morning. And that is beginning in Americana, and it's a great Americana album. I talked about a lot of stuff there, so I don't know if you had any to add, but that's kind of my wrap-up. No, um, 
yeah, Band of Horses, I'm a big fan of. Hopefully, I know they, they had a bunch of members leave a couple of years ago after I saw them. Hopefully, they've got a new album coming out. There are times my morning jacket delves into some of the country stuff, especially earlier uh, in their career. But um, all in all, I think this was a, a lot of fun. And I think um, maybe once a year we can pick a month and have a theme uh, if, it, if we can come up more as good as this one. This one was brought back a lot of memories for me. Yeah, same here. And, you know, it's it's funny as we talked, just we did go with Uncle Tupelo, and it feels like in the second episode, a lot of those bands were so closely related, you know, uh, similar kind of artists. And then tonight, they're all over the map. Like I said, it seems like there's been more subgenres forming out of this and a lot of really good stuff. You know, don't, I mean, don't, even though we both love, Uncle Tupelo, you can dig a little bit deeper and find some some really good stuff that probably were influenced by Uncle Tupelo. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, everybody. So that is going to wrap up our August of Americana in September. Uh, <laughs> apologize for that. Uh, give you a heads up on some uh, shows, the episodes we're going to have coming up. Chris and I last week recorded an interview with the band Country Westerns, which they have a lot of steam behind them. Uh, we'll release that. Um, I recorded an episode this past weekend with uh, uh, Carson, who's a, a radio personality, uh, our top 10 Def Leppard songs. Uh, and, 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 and Chris does get made fun of on this episode uh, a couple of times. And then um, I have found a guy that uh, has a podcast called Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews who is a really, really big Bruce Springsteen fan, and uh, if you haven't listened to his podcast, go listen to it. He has a different guest on every week reviewing an album, and man, they are literally all over the place. They they go from Steve Earle to Megadeth. Uh, they'll go from Bruce Springsteen to Fleetwood Mac to Joe Satriani. Um, so anyway, he's going to come on. He and Chris are going to talk about their top ten Bruce Springsteen songs, and then I'm going to throw mine in there, and they're going to laugh at mine. Uh, so <laughs> you all dancing in the dark i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about the virtue of radio nowhere uh the song good song it's yeah really good song. and then uh my buddy chipper and kyle came over last weekend and we recorded another metallic episode i'll have that one out so a little bit more variety coming up in the next month and uh chris and i uh as always are uh trying to get interviews and coming up with uh topics and want to thank everybody for listening to us and following us on Twitter at Digital Killed and liking our Facebook page and Instagram page. And um, we will be back with you um, next week. And so uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we really appreciate all the great feedback on uh, the August of Americana. Talk to you later. They don't understand I'll give you more than a silver and gold
Get around. 